Tonight on Huckabee, congressional candidate John Gibbs, documentary filmmaker Ami Horowitz, actor and show host Kirk Cameron, 70s music sensation Lenny LeBlanc. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, what a great crowd. Gosh, I love it when we have this much enthusiasm here in the theater. And the only thing that would make it better is if some of you watching at home would get tickets to come to the show and be here in person. I promise you'll have a good time. Audience, will they have a good time if they come? Yes, they will. Absolutely. You know, when the founders of our country created our Constitution, they built in many checks and balances so that power was distributed carefully between the federal government and the states. And then within the federal government, it was further divided among three equal branches with a very strict separation of power so that we would keep one person or even one branch from becoming a tyrant. And part of the genius of the Constitution is that it can be changed. Now, it's not easy to change it, and it shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. There have been numerous changes since 1789 when it was ratified, starting with some of the best changes, which are known as the Bill of Rights. Those are the first 10 amendments of the Constitution. The Bill of Rights didn't give the government more power, quite the opposite. It vested very emphatically more power to the people, and it placed very severe limits on the government. I don't know if you know this, but none of the Bill of Rights told the citizens what they couldn't do. Not one of them. Every single one of the Bill of Rights told the government what it could not do. Now, as our founders intended, there are very few limits to the liberty of the citizens of this country. However, there are strict limits on the government. They can't tell us what we can think, say, write. They can't tell us how, where, who, or even why to worship. They can't come into our home without our permission. And they sure can't go snooping in our stuff without an independent judge saying that a search can occur only because there is compelling reason to suspect that a crime has been committed. The government is required to presume us to be innocent until a jury of people who are similar to us have unanimously determined that we are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a pretty high standard. By the way, our property can't be taken from us and used for private or government purposes without our being compensated. And if we're accused of a crime, we've got the right to a speedy trial. And in case there was any doubt, the Bill of Rights made it clear that if it's not explicitly in the Constitution, then the power resides in the states. Well, somewhere we seem to have lost our way. And not all the amendments to the Constitution since the Bill of Rights have been good ones. For example, the 16th Amendment, that gave the government the power to levy an income tax, even though it was promised at the time that the tax would only impact the uber-wealthy. 
And even then, it would never be, never would an income tax be more than 2%. Anybody paying that? <laughs> if so, tell me how. You know, I think they've completely violated that proposal. I mean, I believe we ought to repeal the 16th Amendment and scrap taxing our income altogether. Why? I really do. Because it's crazy to impose a tax on what we produce or create. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but tax policy is like training a dog or raising a child. Because what we punish, we get less of. What we reward, we get more of. It's a simple thing, right? When we punish work by taxing the money that's earned from it, or we punish savings, wise investments, or frugal living, we're going to get less of it. When we instead reward sloth and reckless behavior, bad decisions like writing off debts, we're going to get more of reckless behavior. The current federal government wants to tax us more, which means it wants to punish us for working hard. But in nutty government giveaways like the student loan forgiveness and subsidies for electric cars, what it does is it rewards reckless behavior, then picks winners and losers, often based on political alignment rather than alignment with the Constitution. And by the way, I'd repeal the 17th Amendment too. You may have never heard of it. It was ratified in 1913. It's an amendment most people aren't familiar with. It changed the selection of U.S. senators from being picked by individual state legislatures to a direct election. Most people are shocked to find that out. It must have seemed like a good idea at the time, but the popular elections of senators was a contributing factor in the exponential growth of the size and scope of the federal government. I mean, the original idea of the Senate was that since senators were appointed and accountable to state legislatures, they would protect the states from an overreaching and big federal government. After 1913, when senators didn't have the main duty of protecting the states and adhering to the 10th Amendment, they went as wild as the House did in building power for themselves at the federal level. And it's been a disaster. So not all change is good. Most of the amendments, well, they've made our nation better and stronger, uh, whether it's abolishing slavery or giving women the right to vote. But some amendments, hmm, maybe they've not been so beneficial to our freedom. Come to think of it, as crazy as the House of Representatives gets, maybe it's time to quit electing Senate or House members. Elect none of them. John Gibbs is a conservative America First Republican. He's running for Congress in Michigan. He worked in the Trump administration under Dr. Ben Carson at the Department of Housing and Urban Development. That's where he oversaw an annual budget of $8 billion to help fight homelessness and expand economic opportunities. Now, he says he's going to be a part of the red wave in November and help put America back on track. Would you please welcome to the show, John Gibbs. John, you have a pretty amazing story. You got out of Stanford, Correct, yes. which is tough to get out of because it's really hard to get in it. Sure. And you worked for a while in the high-tech industry and worked for a few struggling little companies like Apple yes. uh, in cybersecurity. Right. And then you wanted to do something 
pretty amazing getting public service. So you go to Harvard uh, School of Public Administration, you get an MA there, you end up in government, you go to Japan, oversee missionaries there. I mean, your life is kind of an amazing combination of things that don't necessarily fit together. Yeah, you know, when you look back at it, it seems to kind of make sense looking back, but at the time, you know, you're kind of feeling your way through and it's just so great how God opens doors and you walk through. Uh, Governor, you've had such a great life yourself. I'm sure you've seen that phenomenon, how you get ready to undertake something big and you say, okay, here we go. It's me and Jesus and all the great folks out there praying with you. And you go through and you see that God opens the door and you walk through it and you ask God what's next and he does the same thing over again. So it's really quite a great journey and also uh, a tribute, very thankful to how I was raised by my parents. You know, they didn't go to college. My sisters and I were the first in our family, and they really focused on education for us growing up. So just very thankful for that as well. But it's been a wonderful journey. Well, it's taken well with you, John. I mean, you didn't just get a decent education. You got <laughs> one of the finest educations in the country. You speak Japanese fluently. I do, yes. Now, how on earth did you take up Japanese? Was that part of the high-tech world that you were in? You know, when I was in high school, I was really into Japanese animation. What? It's kind of these uh, <laughs> cartoon type movies, but they're more mature themed, like talking about war and peace and uh -huh. th things like that. And uh, it's pretty popular here. I don't know how it became popular, but they're kind of cool little uh, movies to watch. So they're in Japanese, obviously, and I really enjoyed Spanish. I like foreign languages overall. So I said, why don't I try my hand at another one here and try learning some Japanese? So I taught myself a little bit in high school. Then when I went out to Stanford, I did study a couple of years as well. And I also studied abroad there. Um, living with a homestay family and doing an internship with a company over there. So that's how I got my, my fluency and learned about the culture. What was it that made you say, I'm going to run for Congress in my home state? You know, I just felt that uh, I had to serve. You know, I had been in Japan serving as a missionary, and uh, I kind of looked back home, and this was, you know, when uh, 2014, 15, when Obama was still there, I said, we got a problem. If I don't switch my mission field, as it were, from Japan to public policy, we're going to be in big trouble. So that's how I kind of got into the administration. But I said, after our administration ended, maybe I'll be a regular American again, you know, work for a think tank, not get attacked by CNN yeah. anymore, you know, <laughs> et cetera. But uh, I said, I've got to serve. You know, I think there's a big leadership gap back home uh, in the district that I am running in. Um, and I really felt called to, to use all the skills that God gave me to go back and do that. So after talking with lots of folks who are wiser and more experienced than me and getting some advice, I said, okay, uh, let's do it. You unseated an incumbent Republican congressman. That doesn't happen very often. Right. I mean, it just doesn't happen. So uh, you run, you take out a guy that has uh, been there a while. Now, it's interesting, and I think this is hilarious, the Democrats threw a lot of money on you thinking that, well, if John Gibbs is the candidate, he'll be easier to beat. Boy, are they messed up now, huh? Yeah, I mean, they uh, spent a whole bunch of money. Uh, you know, who knows what they were trying to do? Uh, the amount they spent was relatively small compared to what was out there, but they figured I'd be easier to beat in the general election, um, which is actually false. We have all the data showing that's not the case, but hey, never interrupt your enemy while he's making a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, Good point, John. Good point. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, obviously, you did not make that mistake. You let them uh, undo themselves. Right. And, uh, you know, you're winning that primary has been a shockwave into the system. I want you to hang around because when we come back, I want to talk about some of the issues that we're facing. And also, what did you learn uh, when you were in the federal government? And how do you take some of those things to Congress with you, should you be fortunate enough to win? We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more with Michigan congressional candidate John Gibbs. So stay with us.
still to come, the incredible magic of Greg Gleason. Then actor Kurt Cameron joins us tonight on Huckabee. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with former Trump staffer and current candidate for Michigan's 3rd District, John Gibbs. But I want to remind you that space is still available, but filling up for my next trip to Israel, which is next February 11th through the 22nd. Now, a lot of people want to travel again after the virus and all we've been through. But to travel to the land of the Bible, well, it's truly life-changing. I'm personally leading this trip. So go to the website, thegreatesttrip.com. Sign up to be part of this pilgrimage. I look forward to having you join me in Israel next February. Now we're going to continue with John Gibbs, the congressional candidate in Michigan. John, before the break, I, I said I wanted to ask you about what you're seeing and hearing you're in the western part of Michigan. That's right. Uh, I mean, these are tough days for all Americans. Mm -hmm. What do people tell you when you're out campaigning? What matters most to them? What matters a lot these days uh, is your bank accounts. The high gas prices you're paying are crazy. Uh, they're trying to say, oh, prices have gone down a little bit. Nope, still 75% higher than the day that um, Joe Biden came into office, yeah. so still way higher. You look at inflation. You're losing about a month's worth of your paycheck because of inflation right now. This is hitting everybody hard, especially That's regular pretty folks. Powerful. Say that again, because I don't think a lot of people have put it in that perspective. Sure. You're losing one month's worth of your, worth of your paycheck because of inflation. You've mm. got 8% inflation. That's money that's evaporating in a thin air. That's not in your bank account. And with things the way they are these days, people can't afford that. It's hitting folks really hard. So I hear that quite a bit. And I also hear a lot about education. In this country, we used to have the very simple idea that parents have a right to know what's happening in the schools. Yeah. Crazy idea, I know. Maybe yeah. you're a domestic terrorist these days if you <laughs> yeah. do that. You know, it's just nuts. Who, who would have ever thought that it was inappropriate for a parent to go to a school board meeting right. and raise questions about what their children were being indoctrinated with and to be called a terrorist because of that? That's right. We used to call those people citizens. That's right. So I, I often say that this election is not even going to be Democrat versus Republican. It's crazy versus normal. So it's really something. <laughs> I think that's a good assessment. And, and, you know, John, I've known a lot of Democrats in my life. They're not crazy people. They're, they're responsible. They're decent folks. That's right. They love America. They may, you know, butter their bread a little different than I would. Um, but, but I know deep down they don't believe that we ought to just move parents off of the map completely when it comes to their kids' education. They don't think that a five-year-old child ought to be making an irreversible decision about his or her gender yes. and have life-altering surgery or chemical uh, concoctions put into their body that can never be changed. I mean, those are things that you say crazy versus normal, but that's crazy versus normal. I think what you're seeing, though, is a certain segment of the top of the, the left that's pushing this stuff really aggressively. So that's why I think we've got a good shot in November. Um, it's not going to be only Republicans. I think you're going to see Republicans, independents, and as I say, every Democrat to the right of Karl Marx. You're yeah. going to see them come around to uh, uh, rationality here. So, Well, let's hope there's a bunch more that are still to the right of Karl Marx. Because, yeah. I mean, that is pretty scary. What will be your priorities? As a member of Congress, you'd be one of 435 people in that body. Mm -hmm. And when you get sworn in, 
What is it that you're going to say, this is my focus? Um, I kind of discussed earlier gas prices. We got to get more domestic production, period. We got, got to get stuff pumping here so we can get back to energy independence. Uh, got to reduce inflation. Got well, you once worked in Silicon Valley. There's an unbelievable influence that Silicon Valley now has on the country, not only in the economic world, but in determining whose voice gets to be heard. Sure. So when Facebook says, John, you have views we don't like, we're not going to let anyone hear you. Our Twitter says, we're going to ban you because we don't like what you think. How do we fight that? What can we do to change that where there's freedom of speech again? No, I'm thankful that when I worked in Silicon Valley, it wasn't woke like today. Hmm. And we had Steve Jobs. He was all about product, product, product. He wasn't trying to censor people. Uh, today, it would be much worse if I were there. But, you know, I think you can look at Section 230. That's a law that's out there that regulates how these social media companies are allowed to operate. We can look at some changes there to give them more accountability and make sure that they're allowing all voices to be heard. Um, there are other ways you can look at if they're a public utility or not, and are they actually the public square, which I believe they are. If you make those determinations, you can put other requirements on them as well to make sure they can't just censor based on politics. Your water company can't cut off your water if you're a Trump supporter. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of wisdom. Don't give them the idea. <laughs> oh, they might go. try. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... I, I think we can look at models like that, uh, if they can apply to social media companies or not. But this is becoming an issue. People's ability to be heard is being totally cut off. So uh, there's lots of policy issues we can look at. One thing people don't know is that the social media companies are some of the biggest lobbyists in Washington, D.C. Yeah. They spend a very large amount of money on both sides of the aisle trying to keep the status quo. So that's one of the interesting quirks out there. But I think we can stand up and do something right there. John, we're going to count on you getting there and stirring it up and disrupting the status quo. You know, you are an extraordinary, articulate, and uh, I think thoughtful candidate. You've thought through these issues deeply, and what a biography. Good heavens alive, man. We need you in Congress. I want to thank you for coming to be with us, and I hope our audience will do all they can to find out more about John Gibbs and uh, helping him out to get to the Congress, not just for his district, but for all of us. How to do that? Go to Huckabee.tv. At our website, we have links directly to John Gibbs, to his campaign, and all that he stands for. You can also follow him on social media. We'll tell you how to do that. Speaking of telling you how to do something, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how we've got this show lined up for the rest of the night. You're going to want to hear about it. Well, next, prepare to be amazed by the magic of Greg Gleason. And later, we go to the streets with filmmaker Ami Horowitz. Stay tuned for more Huckabee. Go to shop.huckabee.tv and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. And welcome back. Now, since making his national debut on Jay Leno's Tonight Show, my next guest has appeared in 114 countries and on every major TV network. He's performed over 10,000 times just in Las Vegas. He's won some of the most prestigious awards in all of magic. And now he's debuting his new illusion called Timeless Collection. Would you please welcome back to the show one of our favorites, Greg Gleason. Hey, 
you, thank you very much. Is magic an art? Are magicians artists? Well, this is a magician's tool, a deck of cards. Artists use colors, they use paints, they use paintbrushes. This is my artist tool. This is also my canvas. Let's paint. Let's go back 3,500 years. And let's paint. Ladies and gentlemen, King Tut, our two uncommon. Thank you. You know what? Let's go back 500 years. Let's go to Florence, Italy. And let's paint. Ladies and gentlemen, the Mona Lisa. Thank you. This time, let's go back 140 years.
and let's paint. Ladies and gentlemen, the Statue of Liberty. And that's the Martin with the Decacor. Wow. That is, a, a, if I knew how you'd do that, you wouldn't be on the show. <laughs> that's the whole point. What an amazing display. You can see more of Greg Gleason's amazing magic. You can follow him on social media, and you can also book him for your venue. If you want to know how, go to Huckabee.tv. We've got all the links to connect you to Greg Gleason. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to magically appear, and he will magically tell you who's going to appear on our stage coming up. Well, still to come, documentary filmmaker Ami Horowitz. Then actor Kirk Cameron talks about his new movie that's coming up on Huckabee. for a Marine who stood up for America. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. Stuart Scheller joins us on Huckabee. And welcome back. Now, as we at the Huckabee Show continue our focus on the November midterm elections, we want to know what voters are saying about the real issues and what they are and what people think about them. We want to know what will drive them to the polls in November. Ami Horowitz is well known for his Ami on the Loose videos where he asks people out on the streets of various cities all about their thoughts on different issues. So this week, we sent Ami right here in Nashville. We wanted to find out what people are really saying about the midterm elections. I'm Ami Horowitz, and I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, to find out what is animating people and driving them to the poll in the midterm elections. Let's find out. If you were to grade Biden 0 to 10, where would you put Joe Biden? I'd give him about a 9. I'd give him a 2. OK. Well, he just got me $10,000 cut off our uh, school bills, so <laughs> i give him a couple points for that. All right. <laughs> yeah. fair, fair enough. Yeah. What are the three major issues motivating you in this election? Uh, personal finance. Democrats giving everything away to whoever wants it. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Really? Homelessness. The economy. Roe v. Wade. And climate change. Are you better off, worse off, or the same from two years ago to today? Worse. Worse. Very could... much worse, yeah. We moved from Los Angeles. 
couldn't afford it anymore. Oh, yeah. I think the answer is worse off because gas is, like, way A lot higher. inflation, yeah. Right. Better. And in what way? Uh, financially better. Um, emotionally better. OK. Yes. You know if you're going to vote for Republican Democrats in the general election to then 24. Well, I tell you what, if Trump's a candidate, I would not be voting for Republican. Okay. Hopefully we get Nikki Haley. Fingers crossed. What about Mike Huckabee? Remember Governor I Huckabee? Uh, I wouldn't vote for Mike Huckabee in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, huh? Yep. I do like him. Straight off the streets of Nashville, please welcome back to the show, Ami Horowitz. So you've been out there on the streets of the city, right here in Nashville. Were you surprised at what people were telling you? No, it's a pretty diverse crowd in Nashville, so I know you hear kind of both sides. Yeah. And it kind of stuck along the lines of what I've been seeing in the country generally, which is uh, people who are certainly conservative, not big fans of Biden, no surprise there, uh, but independents have really been disappointed in Biden's performance overall, and I think you saw that reflected in Nashville. What is it that people feel um, when they say they're disappointed? Well, you have really two, you know, two suns in our political solar system that have gravitational political pull, right? And you have the, the one sun, the one gravitational center where people are just disgusted by Biden, unhappy with what he's done across the board when it comes to economics, when it comes to social policy, when it comes to foreign policy. And then you have this other gravitational center which is pulling the electorate which is uh, really the, an unhappiness and a failure on certain levels of Republicans over the last, it's a, it's a newer trend happening over the last few months. Yeah. We have had, I don't want to call it failures on our, on our side, but trends that have gone against us. So first of all, when you look at the, the Senate, right, we have to win three out of five. It looks like we're not going to do that. And mm -hmm. there's a variety of reasons for that. We, we have, you know, in the Senate, you have Raphael Warnock, who really has, has, has followed Biden's move, probably moving more left than Biden. People are disgusted by his policies, yet he's winning because we don't have a great candidate. Herschel Walker killed it on the gridiron, but he's destroying his chances hmm. for the Senate. And you have in Pennsylvania, you have a, John Fetterman is a terrible candidate. Terrible candidate. But Mehmet Oz can't gain any traction. Why is that? Just, he's not, look, there is something to be said about people who understand how politics and how to, how to look, Trump was an anomaly, right? And yeah. he, there was a, and you can't really necessarily redo that with another person. He was a special candidate, right? That won in a special way. And I think if we're also being honest, I think that Dobbs and Roe v. Wade has really weighed heavily on Republican electoral chances. If you look at- Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, I mean, this has been such a dishonest, um, rhetoric out there. I can see why people are angry, but it's because they believed what the media has said, which is not true. Well, the media has become an ally of the Democratic Party. They've become the talking points yeah. of the Democratic Party. There's no, there's no two ways about it. And we've seen it in the numbers. Before Dobbs, before Roe v. Wade is overturned, in, in the special elections in the House, Republicans won and they outperformed by two points, better than expected. Yeah. Since then, there have been four special elections Republicans have lost all four. Democrats have outperformed their, ex their expectations by nine points. So their voters are more, are more motivated because they think something has happened to them when it really hasn't. But, you know, I, I do worry about, and I say this publicly, so it's not something I'm just releasing. Republicans, I think, sometimes do a terrible job of 
not making the message really relevant to the guy sitting at the Waffle House. They make it very relevant to the person sitting in the corner office at the uh, major corporation boardroom, but they've got to speak it to the language of the four guys sitting at a table at Waffle House at 10 o'clock in the morning having coffee. We've not done a great job doing that. Yet all we, the truth is, if you look at the data points, they're all in our favor. Right? Yeah. Look at inflation. Look at the economy. Look at the disaster in foreign policy. Look at the fact that we're having the, 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 the social issues we're having in this country. And the tumult that we're seeing, we have not been selling it the right way. And we're seeing that in the electoral numbers, man. It is, it is, look, we're going we're, we're gonna to win the House. Chance that we're not going to the Senate. And that's an important body of the government to have won. Well, it's an important wake-up call. And I think uh, we need to send you to Washington, have a sit-down with Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. Let's go. And some of the leaders up there. And tell them how it's playing out in the streets. All right. Ami, good to have you here. If you want to keep up with Ami Horowitz and check out his Ami on the Loose videos, if you go to Huckabee.tv, we'll connect you with links right to Ami. Right now, it's time to set Keith loose so he can tell us what's still yet to come on the show, and you're going to be happy about it. Well, up next, Kirk Cameron shares a sneak peek at his new film. Then, Lenny LeBlanc performs a classic hit for the Music City Connection on Huckabee. No matter what storm you're going through or have gone through, Samaritan's Purse is responding in Jesus' name. With physical and spiritual aid for those affected most, they bring the hope of Christ all over the world. Please consider going to the Samaritan's Purse website or calling them today and partner with them in spreading God's love and God's hope. Thanks and God bless. Well, the Kendrick brothers and Kirk Cameron are both known for making great movies with inspiring faith-based stories. They've teamed up to produce a new film. It's called Life Mark, the story of a young man setting out to find his birth parents. It's also about the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. It's in theaters beginning September the 9th. Would you please welcome the co-producer and star of Life Mark and the host of Takeaways right here on TBN, Kirk Cameron. B.J. Thomas would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did some stuff just for you, Kirk. How about that? I am so honored. <laughs> well, this band is great. They can do anything, you know. They're really, really good. And uh, they are excited that you're here. We're all excited you're here and very excited about this new movie that's coming out, Life Mark. Well, Mike, Mike, I am so excited to be here. And uh, you are somebody that I admire, I respect greatly. Well, thank you. And two things I want to say about you, and okay. I want to say it publicly, that you have always been an example to me of faith working itself out in love. Thank and you. And two, reminding us that love is not love if it's not married to the truth. Hmm. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you. It means a lot to hear that. Well, speaking of love, Mary, to the truth, I think one of the reasons that I was excited that you were going to be with us 
is because every time I've seen some of the movies that the Kendrick brothers have produced, and you've worked with them before in movies like Fireproof, mm. it's powerful stories, well-written, uh, acted brilliantly, and good production values, but there's a powerful message. The message here is that adoption matters, life matters. You must have taken an interest in this film. What was it when you read the script and said, I want to be a part of that? Well, I have a personal interest in the subject of adoption because as a father of six children, my wife and I decided to adopt four first. Wow. And my wife is an adopted child. So when I think of the people that mean most to me in my life, uh, all six of my kids and my wife, they were one doctor appointment away from not being here. They could have been aborted. If my wife had been aborted, my two natural-born children wouldn't be here either. Yeah. So this means a lot to me personally, and it's a story that couldn't be more perfectly timed. I mean, who would have thought in our lifetime that Roe versus Wade would be aborted? And right on the heels of that Supreme Court decision, here's a movie in the theaters that celebrates the value of life in the womb and the beauty of adoption. We need that message right now. We truly do. We're going to show a little clip from the film, and if you could kind of set it up and tell us what we're going to see when we, uh, when we roll to the clip. So imagine this 19-year-old boy who uh, just learns that his biological mother has reached out to him, and he's of legal age to decide if he wants to connect with her. He's, he's sort of confused about what to do. He's not sure if this would offend his adoptive parents if he reached out. So I, as his father, come to him, and I help to ease his mind and let him know that uh, I am his father and always will be, no matter what he decides. Mm. Let's watch. You remember asking to see that when you were about eight? Dad, is that Brian and Melissa? Yeah. We stopped for lunch on the way home from church. And out of the blue, you asked us, if you could meet your birth mother. And so mom uh, asked you what you would say to her if you could meet her. And you said, I would say, hi, my name is David. I'm really looking forward to seeing oh. it. Now it's gonna be in theater starting next week, September the 9th on Friday. Uh, sometimes a Fathom event maybe only be one night, but this is going to run for longer than that, right? Fathom is doing something in the theaters they've never done before. We're going to be there for at least one week, mm. beginning September 9th. And the key for us uh, to get this message out to more people is to go see the movie opening weekend. That yeah. tells the theaters uh, we need to put it in more theaters and keep it in the theaters longer. Um, Mike, I, I want to just say that, that LifeMark, is not a movie with a heavy-handed political message. It is a true story, and it is pro-abundant life, pro-family, pro-forgiveness, pro-love, mm. reconciliation, and new beginnings. Uh, so, it's for everybody. Hey, those are messages that America really needs, regardless of anybody's personal or political point of view. That's right. I, I think it's important what you just said. People need to go on opening night if it's at all possible, and certainly opening weekend. If they can't go Friday, go Saturday, or go Sunday. But go see it when it first comes out, because Hollywood looks around and says, hey, people want to go see the movie. And, you know, they may not 
care about the message, but they care about the money. And if it makes money, they're going to say this film may just get to stay longer in the theaters. That's right. That's so important. At a time where people are saying, where's the hope and what can I do? Uh, Here's something you can do. You can be a part of culture shaping stories like Life Mark and other good movies so that the future of filmmaking begins to reflect the values that we love, uh, not only for us, but for our kids and our, and our kids' kids. Well, I, I hope that everyone goes and sees it, and I also hope that people will realize uh, there's some other things Kirk is involved in, we won't mention in a moment, but here's the reminder. Life Mark opens in theaters nationwide on September the 9th for a seven-day limited engagement. We hope it's more than that. You can learn more and get advanced tickets by going to Huckabee.tv. Also, be sure to watch Takeaways with Kirk Cameron, Monday nights at 9 Eastern, and it's right here on TBN, a great new show that Kirk is hosting. Right now, Keith is up. He's going to tell us what's yet to come. Take it away, Keith. Lenny LeBlanc talks to Mike, then he'll perform one of his classic hits with the Music City Connection. That's just ahead on Huckabee. Kirk Cameron certainly recognized something we all understand, and that is we've got the best live band in America with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. My next guest has worked with legends ranging from Roy Orbison to The Temptations. He's written top hits in pop, country, and Christian music for people like Michael W. Smith, Sawyer Brown, and so many others. His own late 70s classic hit, Falling, part of the LeBanc and Carr, still stirs the heart. But he's got a brand new acoustic project out as well. We're going to talk about that and much more. Would you please give a big welcome to Lenny LeBlanc. I think about the fact that you almost wouldn't have been here. You were opening for Leonard Skinner back in the 70s. You had an opportunity to uh, get one of the seats on their airplane the night that Leonard Skinner's airplane crashed and several members of the band perished in that crash. It, it has to weigh upon you sometimes if, God, why did you leave me here? Well, you know, Governor, um, first of all, it's great to be, I'm a big fan of his. This guy's here. Oh, well, thank you. We're, we're honored you're here. This is a big deal for us. I was telling Trey I'm more excited about meeting him than I am playing, <laughs> even though the band's great and it's great to be here. But, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been on that plane because we, we declined flying hmm. with them because we thought, we thought our band would feel slighted. And so um, we did five dates and then split up for a day. And then we had 27 shows booked and on the way to Baton Rouge, we were supposed to meet up with them, and that's when the plane crashed. Mm. It was a sad day. 
You know, when I think about your career, you've, you've had a remarkable kind of life that many of us would dream of. Recording as a session musician in Muscle Shoals, Alabama with people like The Temptations and Roy Orbison, amazing things. And then on your own, a uh, huge hit record with Falling. But then there was a turn. Everything went totally different. And you had an encounter with an old friend. And the next thing you know, Lenny LeBlanc is one of the most prolific Christian writers in music. <laughs> what happened? Well, my friend that you mentioned was a, a smuggler. He was home from Vietnam. He started smuggling drugs. Called me late one night and said, Lenny, I got saved and I'm going to heaven and I want you to be there with me. Mm. So are you saved? And I thought, man, just when things are going good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God was, was gonna mess it up. Huh? I was, God was the last thing on my radar, <laughs> Governor. And he said, I'm gonna send you a book. So he sent me the Bible. I read the Bible for the first time and it was like God revealed himself to me in my house. Mm. It's just an amazing uh, experience that I had. I would go through the house and the next thing I knew I'd be on the floor just weeping because I had had a lot to forgive, be forgiven for. And um, God revealed himself to me. I started seeing myself in different scriptures. My heart began to change. My friends thought I was crazy. Mm. And I was signed to Capitol Records at this time, <clears throat> trying to write songs for a new record. I'd start out to, to write a pop song, and by the time it got to the chorus, it'd be about Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, they yeah. love that at Capitol, <laughs> didn't they? <Yeah. laughs> I thought, Capitol Records is not going to want these Jesus songs. <laughs> and they didn't. And you know, it wasn't about, it wasn't like, okay, now you're a Jesus guy, and you can't do this pop music. It wasn't that at all. Yeah. It was like I lost all desire for that, and all I wanted to do was write songs about this God that changed my life. And it was a great decision spiritually, but a terrible career decision. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's been a great decision for all of us who go to church because some of the incredible Christian songs that have touched our lives, you wrote yeah. songs like Above All. And I never dreamed I'd write songs like that because Christian music was barely even a genre. Yeah. When I, I sure didn't get in it for the money because there was no money, <laughs> there was no money to be made. But uh, God's grace, you know, it's just an amazing thing in my life. And I owe everything to him. Well, you know, we're so thrilled to have you here. Honored of how God has used you to bring music to all of us. And uh, we're going to perform some of your stuff, both the old and then later we're going to do some digital music that will be available for our audience. And while we get ready to perform it, Keith Bilbrey will tell all of you how you can hear the fantastic music of Lenny LeBlanc. Well, to get Lenny LeBlanc's latest album anthology, plus all his other music and more, visit Huckabee.tv. You can also watch an exclusive medley of his faith songs, Above All, and There Is None Like You. Now, performing his classic hit, Falling with Trey Corley of the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Lenny LeBlanc. I think of that winter when I was with her and the snow was falling now. Warm by the fire, love being by her when there's no one else around. 
about summer My head was swimming You wrote my name in the sand We walked together Hoping forever Please don't let go of my hand Cause I'm far Please. 